Hey, have you heard about our all-new free PDF that you can download? It's called Five Ways Unresolved Trauma May Be Derailing Your Relationship. And if you're a couple that has done the date nights and attended the relationship retreats and learned the communication skills, read the latest books on marriage, but you still find yourself stuck in a loop of pain and frustration, then this PDF is for you. If one moment everything is fine and the next moment everything feels crazy and that is familiar, I encourage you to go to restoringthesoul.com, scroll down, fill in your email, and get the free copy of our all-new PDF, Five Ways Unresolved Trauma May Be Derailing Your Relationship. You're going to find it very helpful. Most people feel like they read this and they wonder if we've been reading their mail. They say, this is us. It's going to be of help. Check it out now at restoringthesoul.com. questions haunt every life, writes Andy Crouch. The first, what are we meant to be? The second, why are we so far from what we're meant to be? Hello and welcome to Restoring the Soul, a podcast dedicated to helping you close the gap from what you're meant to be and what keeps you from being all that. I'm your producer, Brian Beatty, and today we conclude our two-part conversation with James Brian Smith. As you will hear, both James and Michael have a passion for discipleship and spiritual formation, and what you'll discover in their conversation is the distinct difference between the two disciplines, also known as soul training exercises. James is the author of The Good and Beautiful God and The Apprentice series. He's currently a theology professor at Friends University in Wichita, Kansas, and serves as the director of the Apprentice Institute for Christian Spiritual Formation at Friends University. Now, if you're acquainted with and are a fan of Brennan Manning, uh, Rich Mullins, or even Henry Nouwen, you're really in for a treat today. Now, before I hand it over to Michael and James, take a moment to subscribe to his podcast called Things Above. It's a podcast dedicated to mind discipleship, and it's for those who want to set their minds on things above which is a reference to Colossians chapter 3, verse 2. Now, in just a moment, we're picking up right where we left off in part one, as James and Michael were discussing the triangle of transformation. The first side of the triangle is the narratives of Jesus. Here's James Brian Smith. The spiritual disciplines, which, or I like the term soul training exercises, which I suppose you connect with too, Mm -hmm. because it's bigger than the problem with the word spiritual disciplines and Richard Foster agrees with me on this. So I'm not like he's disagreeing with one of his mentors. <laughs> if you say spiritual disciplines, it sounds like the disciplines are spiritual. They're not. You're spiritual. The disciplines aren't. And the, the danger of that is that if I refer to prayer or solitude or Bible reading as a spiritual discipline, then what I'm doing is, is putting a holy glow around those things mm. And then it's like, well, if I'm doing those things, then back to the toxic, I'm getting on to life. Right, right. That's why the first, and that's why I like soul training exercises better. And the first soul training exercise in the good and beautiful God is sleep. Mm. It's the very first, if you read the first chapter and you're doing it with yourself or a group and you get to the exercise at the end of the chapter, it's sleep. I I encourage people to sleep. I remember that. Until they can't. What? (laughs) 
What? <laughs> it's a little counterintuitive. But I, you know, I encourage people to try to get seven to eight hours or nine, whatever your body needs. Sleep till you can't sleep anymore. I give some, some counsel like, here, to try this. The reason I did that, Michael, is because I want to take that holy glow off certain practices and say, okay, wait, sleep is something I need to do in my life with God? Turns out you do. Which is a picture of why I like contemplative prayer or any of the other disciplines of disengagement where we're doing nothing. So that the, the, the soul training exercise of sleep is I'm doing absolutely nothing unconsciously. It's utterly passive. And that's something that's actually creating transformation. And, and so it makes, exactly. the, it makes the, the good news like essential. Yeah. Here I am. I'm this frozen asleep person. And that's something that God looks at me and says, I like that guy, too. I'm fond <laughs> yeah, of that guy. Yeah. And I and I designed you for that. Right. And if you don't do it, you're going to suffer for it because and not these punishing you. It's just like that's just bad for you if you don't sleep. So, yeah, exa- you nailed it, Michael. That's exactly it. It's by putting that practice at the front. Uh, I wanted to just emphasize that you don't earn anything with these practices. Mm. See, that's the thing is that you can say, if you, if you take prayer, right, you go, well, I prayed for, I prayed for three hours or, you know, I, I, I prayed for a 40 people today, whatever you can go, I can get proud about that. I fasted for 48 hours. Wow. That's big. Um, <clears throat> I want a five day silent retreat. Wow. Right. But if you say I slept nine hours, no one goes impressive. Really? Look at you. <laughs> you know, you can't do it. You can't turn that into merit. We we should sometime at a conference get up and say that. You know, Here's my spiritual life. The number one thing why I'm so spiritual. <laughs> exactly. I slept nine hours. Uh, yeah. And, and well, and Sabbath goes with it too, right? Sabbath right. is the same way. Um, <clears throat> I mean, people do get proud of how they keep Sabbath if they do it badly. It's like, well, I don't eat this thing or I do these religious people. You know, Sabbath is basically God saying, I've designed you to do nothing for a day. Like, like you know, we talk mm. about 24-7. Like, oh, I work 24-7. God says, I designed you 24-6. I want you to do nothing for one day. Mm. So, I mean, yeah, it's, and that's essential. Like, the Sabbath isn't a suggestion. It's in the Big Ten. Like, it's a commandment, you know. Mm. And it's the only one that God said, of all the commandments, the only one said, remember. Like, it never, it, the only com- command where God says, remember is on the Sabbath, because we forget. Yeah. People forget to sleep, people get to rest, people forget to take a day. So. I like to say that if you can't do nothing for God, you can't do anything for God. Ooh, that's a good one. And that's a, that's a it's harder to have a Sabbath than it is to engage in a bunch of spiritual disciplines or soul training exercises, because give me something to do and I'll do it, right. but give me nothing to do and I don't want to do that. Oh, it's it's terribly difficult. Yeah. Was it you that told me the story that uh, Dallas was teaching a group of uh, pastors in a D-min course, and on the first evening, he said, over the next three mornings, I want you to come late because I want you to sleep until you wake up. Don't set your alarm. Right. That seems ridiculous, you know, like I'm paying credit for this and everything, and yet here he is saying it's more important to sleep than to come and take notes on what I'm saying. Right. Um, I don't know if that was you. but It this, was. This, 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 I mean, it, he did that. For, yeah. Because I, I was his TA for seven years. So much um, every permission year. in that. Yeah. It almost feels scary. Like, really? Isn't that lazy? It does. And it, and it freaked them out because this is a, a doctor of ministry class, which meant it was mostly pastors. 
And so, and like you said, they paid money, they're there, they want to learn that sort of thing. So they looked like incredulous, like, are you kidding me? This guy said, I mean, his actual counsel was, I want you to sleep until you can't sleep anymore. I mean, if, if you, if you, if something wakes you up and you're like, I need more sleep, stay there until you say, I can't, I can't stand this bed anymore. I've got to get out. And they would look and they would come to me because I was the TA they were so intimidated by Dallas and go, is, is he serious? Like, he did, did he mean that? He means it. Because like I said, I did it for seven years. Like I watched it happen. And here's the funny thing. It's not funny, but it's, it, it was at the time at first. Anyway, I would watch these mostly men, but men and women, right? They would, these guys and gals would come to this class and they looked worn out when they got there. By the end of the two weeks together, they looked different. Their countenance was different. I mean, another practice that Dallas had them do was on the, what was it, the sixth day? Over the weekend between, it was a two-week course, and so they had the weekend to themselves. But he commanded, if you can say that, that the Saturday, so from Friday sundown to Saturday sundown, they had to to practice silent, the si- silence meaning not speaking. Wow. They couldn't talk for 24 hours. And, um, this is hard for pastors. Yeah. <laughs> yeah right. Who are, who trade on their gift of, of language. Right. But, um, so the combination of sleeping, of uh, learning about life in the kingdom of the, the 24 hours of silence and of these people look different when they left. It was amazing. I mean, they had a glow about them by the end because again, that's how we were designed. I mean, he would say crazy things to these pastors like, you need to arrange your work day in such a way that around four o'clock you leave the church because you have nothing left to do. Wow. And they would go, is there a person on the planet in ministry that right. that's the case? Who, right. Now, the secret to that is you have to learn how to offload, delegate, say no, all the things that most ministers don't do. I mean, the statistics on, on how often pastors pray is, is sad. How often they have Sabbath as bad, right? I mean, it's, that's a crazy thing. People think, well, I'm in ministry, so I'm, I'm, I'm burning myself out for God. Right. You know, I better burn out, or rather burn out than rust out. People say, well, is, do you have to do either? It comes back to this whole idea of, is there an internal flow? Is there a dynamic life with God that's not based on activity or reading or reciting prayers? But uh, then ministry is the overflow of that. Right. See, we think we're having to do it all. That's another great one of Dallas's phrases is, you don't have to make it happen. I mean, I have a mug <laughs> with his picture on it with that. And they, I was teaching in Australia, and Dallas had been there um, like 10 years earlier. And he's so impressed upon these group of pastors, this idea, you don't have to make it happen. So, like, I got some nice gifts when I was in Australia, like a little baby koala bear stuffed animal <laughs> thing, you know, all the cool things you get in Australia. My favorite thing I brought back from Australia is a mug they gave me, Dallas's picture, and underneath it says, you don't have to make it happen. Oh, I love that. And I have it at my eye. I see it every day. While, it, while you're consuming large amounts of caffeine. <laughs> <laughs> or exactly. That's Christianity the is paradox, right? It is. It is. Yeah. But, you know, because I, I, I need that reminder all the time. I think, i got to make this happen. Yeah. i, I got to make this ministry thing, this, this program. i I got to make it happen. You don't have to make it happen. Mm. And pastors suffer from that probably more than most. They think, i got to make this whole church is on my back. Mm. And so when, he, when he's saying, you know, arrange your day so that around 4 o'clock you go, 
I'm just going to mosey on home because there's nothing else to do here. Hmm. Now, because then you say, well, wait a minute. There's 10 people that want me to counsel them. There's a board meeting. There's these. There's 40 emails. There's You've taken on too much. God never called you to, as Richard Foster would say, live a life of panting feverishness. God never said, that's what I want for my, my guys and gals in ministry. Never said it. Hmm. We impose that on ourselves. Oh, this is so, so good. So there's going to be uh, Enneagram 1s and 5s who say, okay, don't stop the podcast here because you've given us uh, one side of the triangle, narratives of Jesus, soul training practices. What's the third part yeah, of the triangle? The community. Okay. Community. And that's one that um, I also learned on my own. Like that really wasn't something that I learned from either Richard or Dallas uh, or Henry in, in that sense, or even Brennan Manning. And right now people are going, they're jealous going, wait, you got to hang out with all these dudes. And we're going to get back to that. In a yeah, right. It really came primarily during those four years of field testing with the, with the hundred people. And I saw how crucial it was to be with a community of people who have support for you. Someone who has, um, I'm going to use Scott McKnight's, uh, one of his great phrases or teachings, where he talks about the love of God as a commitment, a, a rugged commitment to be with you, for you, and unto you. Mm. And here's how he unpacks that. So God is, God has a rugged commitment. We, we like the word covenant too, right? Not a contract, like a rugged. God is, has a rugged commitment. He doesn't waver on it. Rugged commitment to, to be with us, that's relational. To be for us, this God wants my good. And unto, meaning to your wholeness, to your healing. Because love wants the best for a person. Love loves unto purity, as, as George McDonald said. And so I take that in, to apply that to community. Because the best communities are, and you know this as one who works in, in therapy and counseling, right? Is if I have a person who has a rugged commitment to be with me, to be for me, to be unto, man, that is, is and I'm, here's a question for you, actually. And I, cause I read this article and it blew me away and I cannot find it. I haven't had students Google trying to find this cause I've talked about, I can't find this article. I want your thoughts on this. Because this is a little provocative to be saying this to a person who's a trained, gifted therapist. <laughs> but what, what this article said was that if you have like three people in your life who exhibit what I just described, rugged commitment to with, for, unto, they have you, right? Always. They never will let you there, right? You have that. That if you have that kind of community... It's actually more powerful than having a paid therapist. I, I don't question that at all, because I think uh, that's what a good therapist does. And it makes me think of, I'll have to go back and map this out on a whiteboard, but I, I think always through the lens of a foundation of the four aspects of attachment, neurobiologically, seen, soothed, safe, and secure. And I think that each of those three uh, the with, the for, and the unto correspond to that. It, they do, yeah, exactly. I'm yes. seeing uh, that there's a there's a place I can go with my pain, uh, that my soul is safe. You know, that idea that you've unpacked and Dallas taught that 
the kingdom of God is the, the safest place in the universe, and the universe is a perfectly safe place to be. And that's because we're attached. Right. So I love that. I want to come back to that. Yeah, and and, I, and to say that, I want to just immediately have a caveat there to say anybody who works in therapy or is seeing a therapist, and I'm down with that, man. I'm, I'm, I'm in it myself, right? I know I need help and counsel, and I rely on that. Um, but... And so it's not to say that's wrong, but I agree with what you just said, that that's, that's the best, like the best kind of arrangement. And the reason that it can be, I say it's a little provocative is because in some settings, again, this is your world more than mine, but you know, the therapist client relationship is more professional, meaning you're, you're paying me, right? We have a set time limit when the time's up, ding, you got to go. Right. And so while you can say, I think that person's out is with me for me for my good it is still professional, right? right? And I think that's maybe the difference is that if I have people like that. So anyway, back to my main point. It's just I, I, what I saw so clearly, community is powerful in formation. And, and I see this in our adult discipleship program and even in our master's program because they're cohort models. They stay together for a couple of years. When it's done, if I ask them, like, what was most transforming? I'll, I'll want to I'll hear them say, oh, my gosh, Jim, you're teaching. <laughs> blew me away. <laughs> That's always nice, Or right? these books that I read, or whatever it was, right? Or other other teachers, even, in the program. And they do say that. But the number one thing they always say is the community. The, the, mm. the, the relationships that they developed. Because they they got to be in a safe place to say, this right. is me, I open up. You, do you see me? Back to the whole avatar thing. You know, I see you. Somebody who sees me. Yeah. And in that community, boom. Oh, so powerful. And the implication of that is that community can be so painful. And it's often in community that our toxic narratives of God develop and uh, even our understanding of what it means to be connected to other people. So I'm not surprised by that at all. Um, I want to shift to the very beginning of our conversation. You've called yourself the Forrest Gump of Christianity right. because of the way that you feel as if you've kind of stumbled into these different mentors. And so Henry Nowen, Richard Foster, Brennan Manning, Rich Mullins, who was a good right. friend of yours, uh, and Dallas Willard. Yeah. Can you, with each of those men, and maybe there's a John Doe too, because we all have people that have influenced us that are not famous, maybe say a word with each of those uh, men that our listeners will probably know of, how each of them impacted you with mm. just a word or a sentence, like what you took away from each of them. Yeah, oh, I'm going to put two together because um, Henry was the first person that helped me get this idea of the beloved, you know, that you are the beloved. And he that was a, a central message for him. And you wrote a book, Hidden in Christ, Hidden in Christ. Becoming the Beloved of God. Yeah, and Embracing the Love of God, of course, comes from that. But that, that, that book, Embracing the Love of God, uh, I wrote that directly because of my relationship with Brennan Manning, who wrote the Ragamuffin Gospel. And I remember I, I was with Brennan. We were having uh, dessert at this lovely restaurant in Wichita, because um, Brennan likes sweets. <laughs> so we were having coffee and dessert, and, and I was talking about various things, and he just looked at me and says, You don't believe God loves you, Jim. I was like, well, wait, no, yes, I do. You know, and he goes, no, you don't believe he loves you as you are. Mm -hmm. You believe he loves you with condition, like he loves you if you become as you should be. And that was penetrating. And, um, you know, but Henry, one summer I read the Genesee Diary. Uh, I was doing youth work out in the, in the four corners, right, in Colorado, actually. And so, um, and I read the Genesee Diary, and it was just like, wow, you can have this 
solitude silenced this life with God. Richard taught me the spiritual disciplines, to be sure. I mean, that was, he had this life with God that was so winsome. I was like, this guy doesn't just talk about God, he knows God. I wanted to be connected in that way. And then Dallas, of course, he was the uber mentor, really, because of all the time I spent with him. And he introduced me to the gospel of the kingdom, that, that the gospel is not about an afterlife thing, that you get to go to heaven when you die. But Jesus' gospel was you get to live in the kingdom now. So Dallas was really huge in that. Rich Mullins was just, he was a good friend. He was, Rich was a soul friend. Rich was a person who helped me feel more confident that you could bear your soul. Mm. You know, that's didn't, what he, didn't he live with your family for a period of time? He did. He lived in, we had an attic apartment. He lived there for like two and a half years. And, um, you know, one of the first times we were, we, when our friendship really took off, um, he came to the, to our, he came home and we went up in the attic apartment and he said, I, I want to be friends. And he said, if, if, if we're going to be friends, you got to know my junk. Mm. He said, because my problem at that point in his life said, I'm famous and people want to, I, I don't know who really likes me or they just want to be around me because they know I'm a somewhat of a Christian celebrity, right? Singer, songwriter. And so he goes, here it is. And he just laid out, he just bared his soul mm. with these horrifically traumatic things that happened to him. And it was like, holy cow. And, um, when he got done, I just said, okay, well, I guess it's my turn. He goes, nah, you don't need to go. Cause yours won't be as good as mine. <laughs> and I already know you're, you got junk too. So it doesn't, what it is, doesn't really matter. You're we, squeaky clean. Cause you're a pastor, right? <laughs> well, I know I, he didn't doubt that I had as much junk as he did. You know, really it was just more like, I'm doing this because I want to know that I can trust you as a friend. Mm. You really love me. Because if, if I show you this underbelly, this this the the dark side, and you still want to be my friend, you still love me as a friend, then we're good. Hmm. And that was a really a, a deep teaching for me with him. But yeah, it's pretty amazing. You know, I say Forrest Gump because in the movie, Forrest does nothing to merit meeting all these famous people. You know, it's Kennedy and. And uh, he's just on and on. He, the whole film is just like, oh my gosh, he's he's talking to John Lennon or whatever. And <laughs> and but he, get, and that's how I feel because I didn't do right. anything to merit any of those. Like I, I had no business getting to be connected with any one of these amazing guys. So let's end on this. People have sometimes asked this of me. You know, what do you do, Michael? to cultivate your relationship with God. And I think they want to know for a secret sauce or here's the key. And for me, though I have certain practices, life with God is more and more integrated into all of my life. And it's just just something that I do in the morning or in the evening before I go to bed. But what's the experience, practice, place that you experience or do where you encounter God the most Mm. at this stage in your life? We're both in our late 50s, yeah. and our spirituality and our relating to God changes. So what yeah. would you say that it is right now? That's a great question, but before, since we're ending, I have to say, I have to give a plug for my podcast, which is called The Things Above. Absolutely. Because if I don't, my my producing team, uh, they will get mad. Because I'm on podcasts, and I never say anything. Like, you run that guy's podcast. It's a great podcast, which I love your podcast, by the way. And, and I love your podcast. <laughs> Just recently had a full-page ad in Christianity Today. Yeah, and you, we You've did. got some really cool guests. Yeah, we do, and you're going to be a guest. You're already you've already agreed, so you can't. I get signed out. the contract. You did, so look. I look forward to that coming soon. Uh, great interview. With but tell Michael. us about your podcast, Things Above. Yeah, it's called the Things Above. Uh, comes from Colossians three verse two, where Paul said, "Set your minds on things above." And um, 
you know, Greg Boyd said the most important kind of discipleship is mind discipleship. And it's the one that we also the most neglected. Like we don't really think like, what am I thinking about? Like, what's on my mind? What's going on? What's happening between my ears? And, and I don't, I think also maybe especially in this day and age, we just don't have a lot of things that are good and beautiful and true and worthy and excellent to put our minds on. So the podcast is my attempt to each week bring um, some idea, some some narrative, if you will, that is a you can put your mind on it. So there, many of them are just shorter devotional, like twelve to fifteen minutes, just me. And then I have guests um, from time to time that we're, we we dig deep into some sort of deeper truth. So that's that's definitely where so things above came after from. this conversation. I'm sure people are going to dig deeper into all of your resources. Um, your books, of course, can all be found on Amazon and yeah. other places. But things above podcasts with James Brian Smith. Definitely, I will encourage that. Oh, thanks, Michael. I'm, it, it's been a, it's been a blast to do, as you know, because your podcast has been around longer than mine, and I, it's a great medium, isn't it? I mean, I, it's, what I love about podcasts, you can go and listen to previous ones. They don't age; they're evergreen. Right. You know. Yep. I listened to some podcasts that you did like three years ago, and I was like, "This is a great podcast," but. You've long moved on. I can hear my voice changing <laughs> over three years. It's like, <laughs> yeah. eventually I'm going to be talking like That's right. Welcome to Michael Jake. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay, back to your very serious good question. Um, probably for me right now, it is, uh, it, is, it is within solitude. And some of this is stuff that you've taught me with breath prayer and becoming still. And I need a lot of time. So I, I'm probably like 20 minutes in breath prayer and just in a meditative place so I can become present where I am because my, my mind's going a million places. So I have my little notepad by it. Cause I, cause a gazillion things come into my mind. Mm. You know, I got to call that person. I got to do this thing. So I got the, but it takes me that long just to get present. And then in that space, that's where I, I read devotional kinds of literature. Uh, I follow the lectionary. So I'm looking at scripture passages. I'm meditating on passages of scripture. I'm just in dialogue with God. I I create a space for an hour or two every day where I can just be present to God and say, you know, what do you want to say to me? It's a beautiful thing. I I used to do that early on as a way to, because I thought I needed to do that to show how God, you know, how spiritual I was and he'd like me. That's, you know, way gone beyond that now. I do it now because it's like, this is, who would I better spend time with right. than this God who knows me intimately, better than I know myself, and and wants to be with me and heal me and be present and to talk about stuff. So that's the most profound thing I do. Thank you for sharing that. And thanks for taking the time, but also for sharing your heart, your wisdom, and your knowledge. This has been a blessing, Jim. Thank you, Michael. So thank you for listening to another episode of Restoring the Soul. We want you to know that Restoring the Soul is so much more than a podcast. What we're all about is helping couples and individuals get unstuck. You know how some people go to counseling or marriage therapy for months or even years and never really get anywhere? Our intensive programs help clients get unstuck in as little as two weeks. To learn more, visit RestoringTheSoul.com. That's RestoringTheSoul.com. Restoring the Soul.